Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to part two of essentially why is my brain not working or uh, let's get your brain working or whatever we want to call it. It's, it's really about educating you on making sure the brain can do everything you can because in order to maintain a health of your brain, I want you to have as many nerve cells or neurons that you can keep throughout your lifetime. And I want you to be able to have a good quality environment chemically in your brain, blood sugar and blood supply and everything else that goes into that neurotransmitters. Because we know if you can do this, and assuming no crazy accidents, you'll you'll live into your old age with a very high functioning brain. And I want you to have that. Because again, all the benefits of having a high functioning brain mean that you're not going to succumb to the, the top things that cost so much money. Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia can cost up to quarter million dollars a year. Well, how do you manage that? Um, people typically go in a home, the house gets sold, and need assets to go there, get attached to it, and they stay there until they die. And you may or may not get to see them, depending on what the world's next pandemic is. So not only are you broke, you get, don't get to see your loved one. And we don't, we don't want that for anybody. That is, it's just an awful, awful thing. Um, you know, you can lose your body, but you can have your ability to kiss your loved ones goodbye. But if you lose your mind, you don't even know who your loved ones are. And it's it's tough to go through. And, and I, I bet most everybody who's listening to this has had to deal with this at some level. And it's it's just not fun. So um, just for fun, the role of plasticity, which I'm going to go into in detail today, is to preserve brain function. So there are people who have Alzheimer's and they've run MRIs on them, but their plasticity was so well that they showed no symptoms. And then we have people that have a little bit of plasticity, or a little bit of plasticity, and then but not enough. And when they get plaques and lesions in the brain, they go very quickly. So again, how somebody mo motors through their seven stages of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, how fast they go through, uh, it depends on the plasticity that goes in there. And also, if you're better at your language or you learn another language, it helps with that uh, part of the brain. So we want as much as possible when we're talking about what's called neuroplasticity. Now, plasticity can be good and bad. Uh, we learn new skills, and it develops and integrates into a habit. But what if we learn to smoke? <laughs> would, would that be a good thing? You, you learn and your, your body requires it. So there's negative plasticity, uh, such as learning something that's not great for your body. But maybe you have a post-traumatic stress. Maybe you have a traumatic brain injury. Maybe you have a chronic pain. Uh, what if you uh, have lost an arm and that you have what's called phantom pain? And that means these neuroconnective pathways are now creating a negative response. So you can get negative plasticity. So here's here's the problem in these chronic pain issues. Because most of your chronic pain, and if you listen to my our chronic pain website, it, it develops in the brain. So we have to go figure out what pathway they go there to turn that off. But it could be they're causing more signals, so it, it generates more pain. And so these pain fibers get more and more, and then they get very efficient at doing that. So let's say um, let's say somebody had a herniated disc in their back, but they've had it for 20 years. Hey, guys, I'm talking to you. You've got this pain going on, pain going on, and pain going on, and pain going on, and pain going on. And okay, let's go to the doctor. Well, I saw him for two or three visits. It didn't work. Screw that. That Whether it's chiropractor or acupuncture, that doctor has a quack. They don't know what they're doing. That's a lot of guys. That's a lot of guys. But you waited so damn long to go see somebody that, and, and let's say you said, I, I'm, I'm bad enough, let's go have surgery, and they removed the disc. But the pain pathway, the nerve, they didn't remove all the nerves there, are still there. So you're still having back pain, yet it's gone. 
So the question is, well, the surgeon didn't do anything. They didn't know what they were doing. They suck. Um, whether you go to court or not, it doesn't. It really doesn't matter. The problem was you. You delayed it. You didn't take care of it. You didn't go, and you didn't uh, have somebody if they evaluated you and told you that the probability of success for waiting so damn long to go do something is very limited, and that's on you. So this goes out to the majority of the guys. There's very few women who do that, but there are some women, so I can't just say it's all one or the other. Um, but let's talk about kids too. So negative plasticity can occur with children. So let's say you have a kid that, you know, in, I've got a 12 year old boy and his favorite thing on earth to do is play video games. I got it. It's, it's, it's what they do, but I'll be damned if I'm not going to kick his butt outside and said, let's go move. Uh, you're going to go play soccer. You're going to go wrestle. We're going to move some rock. We're going to dig in the hole. We're going to build the garden. I'm going to let him have video games, but the majority of our kids, they play video games and that's it. They're not, they're not involved in exercise. They're not, not caught up. So the most popular games that are out there right now are not like race car games. It's, it's violent. They're blowing things up. So this activity develops in their brain survival area because they're like, I don't want to get shot. Um, well, what if they play paintball all the time? Or what if they play uh, airsoft all the time? They don't want to get shot. So they're in a fight or flight mode. So their limbic system, which is really called the reptilian part of their brain, it's, it's to keep you alive in the most stressful situation. So they're putting themselves in the stressful situation. It starts to develop negative plasticity. So they start to put their body into those things. Now, if you get a kid like that and they just eat junk food all the time and then their blood sugar is completely off, they're probably going to get bouts of anxiety and long bouts of anxiety equals long bouts of depression and so what's going to happen the typical parent today puts their kid on a medication every single shooter since the 1980s has been on or 1990s has been on one of these medications every school shooter let that set in for a minute so this not having and and, and it's not 100 percent on the parents here when we take physical education out of school and don't have kids that have to be in some sort of extracurricular activity, you're killing their brains. Well, then on top of that, whether it's the CDC or the Department of Education that says, let's have all the kids mask up, let's have all the kids stay home, and you know, as, as this stuff has come out today, it turns out the you know, virus wasn't that bad from the CDC. Oh, it turns out that, yeah, the uh, vaccinated people were worse off than the, the unvaccinated people. Great. Uh, th this massive mistake is it's going to have i mean the, the good thing for us who are over 40 and 50 uh we'll never get to see this stuff but the bad thing for anybody who's in their 20s and 30s is you're going to see this massive neurological decline in our our society in the world and, and people didn't develop and these kids did not develop and it's not going to be developed because now we have to have just go ahead and pass them they don't have the skills to get past they passed them and it's just going to keep going so now you have these kids that well, they've been playing video games for years. They neglected their other brain activities, such as, I don't know, going out and learning a language or playing soccer, jujitsu, or tennis, or you know, maybe going camping and, and going out and developing these other skills. Each one of these things, like so, when you're burning a fire, if you've ever smelled, you, you smell the fire, and if you get too close to it, you touch the fire, and you, oh, it's hot. These are all perceptions. It's a different part of the brain that develops. All you're doing is frontal lobe, not really frontal lobe. Um, limbic system lobe or not lobe but limbic system activity when you're doing a video game but what if you're out okay so let's say somebody gets into target practicing 
you've got to take a deep breath, so you've got to monitor your heart rate. Um, you've got to be able to use your occipital lobe so you can see the target. You've got to make sure you're in good balance. There's cere cerebellum. I have to be able to pull this trigger very slowly so that it can be right on target for target practice. All these different parts of the brain when you're actually shooting a real gun at a target is completely different than pressing a, a joystick. It's completely different. And it develops completely different. That's why there's a difference between children who understand gun control and are, I mean, uh, I mean, there used to be like not only shooting in school, and there is there is shooting clubs in, in Texas for that, but there are enough studies around the world where they actually invoked and put in not gun control, but gun education how to hold and what it is and, and to treat everything as this is loaded and you don't point it at anything until you, you know, and there's these rules that come along with a gun and the gun violence goes down dramatically. Dramatically. Why? Because it's a development in these young kids on that as opposed to just a video game. It's all the other stuff that goes through it. They talk to them about it. They, you know, create a sense of responsibility and urgency that goes through there. What's the responsibility or urgency when you're playing a video game? There is none. It's just, I don't want to get shot. I want to win. That's it. But you're not physically moving. There's there's a connection as you have to hold this thing. And you, okay, now I'm going to look at this this uh, red target maybe down, you know, 20 or 25 yards from me. And I'm going to try to pull the trigger and get in there. And I'm going to, I have to think and calculate, okay, well, what if I'm outside and there's wind? There's all these mathematical calculations that goes through there. I'm not advocating that the guns are the only way to do this. Okay, there's there's a million different things to do, but I'm just uh, trying to paint the picture of why these things are particularly happening. So not only do you want to develop positive plasticity versus negative plasticity, but we don't, you want to be able to maintain it. The, the medical term to this is called long-term potentiation, which means that you can um, remember things and your neurons communicate much better with each other over a long period of time. So, uh, I mean, we all have people that, you know, that might be in their 80s and 90s and they can just remember and recite anything and that's fantastic. And then you have somebody who's in their 50s and they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't really even know what I did last week or, you know, and it, it's, sometimes they, they giggle about it, but it's not something to really giggle about because they're going to be in big, 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 big trouble um, very soon. And so with, with a healthier brain, there are so many other things that happen from digestion to immune system to how you're um, you know, do you get sick? Uh, if, you, if you have a healthy brain, you probably don't have massive inflammation. And inflammation and degeneration uh, do compromise your nerve health, but it's really the cause of all disease. So if you want to avoid the 5,000 clinical diseases, neuroplasticity is a big deal. And again, back to the basics as we went to, we have to stimulate it, and then we have the right chemical environment to make sure that, that everything happens. And it could be positive or negative, um, but we want to have everything that's positive and we want to stay there for a long time. So there are things that affect these plasticity. What's what's the chemical signal? They're called neuro, neuro, neurotransmitters. And these neurotransmitters are essentially cellular signals that tell the immune system what to do, the hormone system what to do, the blood sugar levels what to do. They all affect the brain. That's hence neurotransmitter. They affect your circulation, uh, which is your blood supply, and your oxygen delivery to the brain. They affect... The brain's immune system, the uh, in what we call the glyc glycolytic uh, pathways, the connection between the gut and the brain. There's a gut brain. We're going to have a whole wonderful talk about gut brain uh, that goes along with there. So I'm going to talk now a little bit more detailed about neuro 
I'm sorry, yes, neuroplasticity and what we want to do with the plastic side of it. Now, the definition of neuroplasticity is the ability of neural networks in the brain to change through growth and reorganization. This allows your nerve cells, neurons, to compensate for any injuries. And so there's a difference between uh, neuroplasticity and neurodegeneration. So neuroplasticity, again, is connectivity. Neurodegeneration is a loss or disconnection. So when you have um, an increased uh, neuroconnectivity, you get decreased degeneration. That's a healthier brain. When you have a decrease in neuroconnectivity, you get an increase in degeneration, which is a loss of brain function. All right. So let us begin with this. Again, I'm just going to do a highlight of what's going on. Again, the hippocampus is the brain structure that is your short-term memory but it remains highly plastic throughout your life and is involved in cognitive function. Now, sometimes vitamin E helps the hippocampus. There are other things like phosphatidylserine, phosphatidylcholine. Uh, the hippocampus is, um, can be beneficial when for people who eat eggs because there's choline in there. And it's um, related to cognitive behavior and postnatal development as an adult. Um, neuroplasticity as a whole is an umbrella term that just refers to it as we've already defined it, but it's really, I'm not gonna get more detailed as I go along, just add more details. The complex multifaceted physiological process uh, that mediate the ongoing structure and function, functional modifications occurring at various times, the ever-changing Im immature to an adult brain, and, and then by the way, that, that can that can be like an open-ended thing. So are we immature or not? Uh, yeah, my brain didn't develop past the joke phase about 12 years old, but other things did develop uh, that went to there. So when we have neuroplasticity, we have to consider uh, what the lifestyle of that person is. Do they do they have calorie restriction? So these, these high-fat diets, is ketogenic or calorie restriction or um, high-fat, low-carbohydrate, um, these are very good diets that help with neuroplasticity. Now, what if you are already on them and you're still declining? That's a bigger deal. So sometimes age can be in there, but I wanted you to understand that age is not not there. I mean, we're talking advanced age, 90 plus. Not, not 50, 60, 70, 90 plus. That's when age gets to be a consideration. And so when we have neuroplasticity, conditions that can come off it would maybe Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, or... Maybe you have a cognitive or learning or memory issue. Maybe you have uh, not enough blood supply. So cerebral not getting enough um, blood supply can do that. Well, you know, a stroke can do that too. <laughs> it, it cuts it right off. What if somebody has a neurological condition such as um, ALS, MD, muscular sclerosis? Uh, what if they have a neuropathy? These are things that don't allow plasticity to sit in. You can also have a, a major injury such as a traumatic brain injury. Um, so diet comes into consideration for neuroplasticity. Uh, there are nutrients, uh, what we call nutraceuticals, supplements that help. There's ways to eliminate and, and help with what's called neurotoxicity. And even some medications are neurotoxic and some foods are neurotoxic. We know that just alone, like gluten goes into the cerebellum and can be neurotoxic to it. Um, there are uses of hyperbaric uh, chambers. Sometimes the right balance of hormones or the right foods that affect hormones affect. Exercise is a big deal. Um, if you're not exercising and you're just not going to do it ever, 
and there's there's two sides of that. Somebody maybe you know a quadruple amputee, and they're like, I'm not going to exercise. Okay, well, what can we do? Can we stimulate you in a certain way? But if another person is sitting there and uh, the only reason they they won't exercise is not because of dysfunction, and all dysfunctions can be overcome. But you can't overcome somebody's made up their mind and I'm just not going to do it anymore. That's that's completely different. But in order to stimulate your brain, you have to exercise, period. No hands or butts. That frontal lobe, which is your working memory, has to be move movement. Movement. You just fall apart when you stop moving. When, when people go into a, a – their body breaks down that they've gone from a cane to a wheelchair, I, I feel so bad for them because I know what's happening. That that brain's dying and they're going to – they're next. Um. And, and stress can uh, can affect um, neuroplasticity. Oh, well, other things that affect your body's brain's ability to be plastic, and we're talking about positive plasticity, is oxidative stress. That's toxins in the environment. That's inflammation. Uh, uh, inflammation, again, root cause of all disease. Too high or too low blood sugar. Um, your work stress, your personal interpersonal stress. Maybe you're going through a divorce or a family member died. These are, these are bad. EMF, electromagnetic, can affect you. Uh, synapsins, which is like most of your um, anti-anxiety antidepressants are really synaptins. They go in there and they block the uptake, and so they, they try to keep something in there a little bit longer. Um, well, this starts to affect plasticity. That's why a lot of these things require more and more drug as the time goes along but that's the same thing with cocaine and methamphetamine yeah maybe somebody took it for a little bit everything was great no heart attack <laughs> no stroke everything's good but then they gotta have more and then they gotta have more and then they gotta have more uh also depending on what's called your bdnf gene your brain derived neurotropic factor how your brain recovers from events that we've already talked about um very important so aging really is a process derived um from interrelated mechanisms these are not, you know, did you work out and do you have a, a body that has a physique or, you know, are you 70% fat? How does your body make energy? Um, are you able to sleep? What's your blood pressure? What's your blood sugar? Um, these things all go into how your body degenerates or creates plasticity. And the more inflamed somebody is, so those are all important, but inflammation is going to be number one, number one. So the people with the most degeneration are going to be the people with the most inflammation. Hand, this, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's, we can go through thousands of studies and, and show that. We don't have to. I'm telling you. So there's some other things that go on there. There's what's called neurotropins. And neurotropins are a family of closely related proteins that are identified as survival factors. So when you're a fight or flight, you need neurotropins. So some people have better neurotropic factors, and so they are able to deal with survival issues. Um, it's also good for development. It's also good for um, both parts of what's called the central and peripheral nervous system. Now, uh, they're mediated through different parts of, of cellular receptors. I'm not going to go into the, the big deal, but one of the things that makes this go is what's called TNF or tumor necrosis factor. That's inflammation. So neurotropic factors, um, while they can get you through stuff, if they're turned on and they're stayed on, you can degenerate your brain. Uh, other people deal with what's called neurotransmitters, and we have neurotransmitters you might have heard of serotonin or dopamine or what's called acetylcholine or GABA. These are all neurotransmitters in the brain, and, and they tell other parts of the brain and the body what to do. And sometimes it's something like substance P, which tells you, do we have pain or we don't have pain? Uh, and so we want to be able to 
it's, it's impossible for us to go inside your brain and take a sample out of it to see what your neurotransmitters are, but there are factors such as blood sugar and blood pressure. Why we start to deal with physiology so much is we want to know if the physiology is not right, these neurotransmitters aren't going to be there, but what if we get your physiology working right? Will your body make its own neurotransmitter? That's the whole goal uh, anytime we're working with any of these, these clients. There are other things in your brain called astrocytes and microglia. And they're extremely important players in what's called synaptic plasticity. So really, astrocytes and microglia are the immune system of the brain. Um, now, what's called the microglia, another name is a, a glial. So microglia is just part of it versus glia. So they have the microglia are like, they're your friend or your enemy. If they're not turned on, eh, they just chill and nothing's happening. But when they have inflammation then they start killing everything. That's that's the problem. And they, they can sometimes even kill a healthy nerve cell next to them. So when somebody has a traumatic, let's say they had a concussion, and maybe they didn't have any symptoms, great. But then they had another one in a short amount of time. All of a sudden, these microglia are what's called primed, and they just start attacking everything. So now their symptoms are long, and they may not ever recover. Well, what if somebody had one concussion, and their microglia were primed? They're done. They're done with whatever, let's say, sport they were in to do that. So we can't just say, okay, well, you've had 10 concussions and you've had one. And, and you the, with the one, you, your headaches suck. And the one with 10 has no, no issues. The difference comes down to physiology. What's your blood sugar? What's your blood pressure? What's your life? What's your um, um, neurotropic factors? What's your BDNF that goes to it? It's not a matter of you being tough or you being uh, weak genetically. It's, it's these other factors that come in there. But once the microglia are primed, they're primed. And they're primed to fight, and they're fight to trying to kill everything that's there. Uh, that's their job, because really, what they were there for blood-brain barrier issues or an infection that's gone across the brain uh, to keep you alive. But the problem is, it it it, it goes along and it, it destroys you. So we have to, to be better about that. Astrocytes and microglia modulate, um, which means they manage the mechanisms within the neural environment, such as neurotransmitters and releasing these factors such as BDNF, and they try to modulate and to control inflammation. Sometimes when you have a, you know, a knock to the head, the brain has to swell. Well, it ain't going to go anywhere. It's inside a vault, a, a bony vault, so it has to open up and leak everywhere else. That's called a leaky brain. And leaky brain leads to leaky lung and leaky gut, and vice versa. So there are things that we, we, we use when somebody gets into those situations, and the microglia are attacked. Um, and start to affect the neuroplasticity. And this is where, you know, doses of curcumin, um, turmeric, resveratrol, glutathione, these are high antioxidants to try to calm down the immune system to try to help these microglia stop being primed. Um, one of the best sources for this is when we start to put people on ketones or ketogenic diets because we want to keep the ketones up there. It's a source of food for the brain. Yet it prolonged fasting with ketogenic. So if we do a ketogenic diet or low-carb, um, high-fat ketogenic diet, there's other kinds of things that go with it. And then we start to incorporate that with um, intermittent fasting or fasting that's going in between longer, not so much inter inter intermittent. You start to decrease the inflammation. These are anti-inflammatory options. And anything that we can do uh, with that will we'll, we'll calm that down. All right, so my next section that comes up here, plasticity is this thing called BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. It is a neurotropin, just a, one of the proteins that docks to the brain. 
and it's essential for, well, when they're uh, in vitro or being made, and a human is being made, called pregnancy. It's essential for neurodevelopment. It's essential for survival. It's it's essential for plasticity, and it's essential for cognitive function. But you know, when somebody gets hit in the brain again, it helps to recover and to repair. Now, zinc seems to help uh, modulate BDNF. So when we're looking at blood tests and we say, okay, they're kind of low. Uh, does this person get sick all the time? Do they have any type of cognitive repair? Do they have brain fog? Do they have this? We take that into consideration when we use zinc or not. Now, the dysregulation of BDNF is involved in several neurodegenerative disorders. This includes Alzheimer's. And the alteration of the metal ion, homeostasis, is observed in both normal aging and degeneration. So we don't just look at, you know, what is your um, ion test that go in there, but metal ions, especially the one zinc, again, can modulate the activity in a good way. Of BDNF that always, isn't always going to work there. If, if somebody's not going to exercise, you're really not going to get benefit from zinc. So when you have, when you're trying to increase BDNF, these people have to do a little bit of high intensity training, HIT. But we combine that with nutrients. We combine that with anti-inflammatories. We combine that with, uh, you know, let's say they're in football. You're not in football right now. Uh, what if you're, um, you know, in a, a terrible situation, uh, a toxic home or a violent home? Uh, how do we not a whole lot we can do. We can do what we can, but got to get them out of the environment to, to help them out. So if you ever heard of like MAO uh, for anxiety or depression, guess what? Zinc interacts with the MAO system. Um, and it helps with the context of depression and neuroplasticity. Because again, just like pain patterns, think of depression as a pain. Uh, and it really is. The Neurologically, it is a pain pattern. So if you develop and you're depressed and you're depressed and you're depressed 20 years later, guess what? They can give you everything they want. You're going to be depressed. That pathway is set in stone. So how do we get around that? Um, sometimes we have to, especially if it's early, we use zinc uh, to help people with the neuroplasticity of what goes through there. If you're a child, <laughs> and, and really anything under 18 is a child, there are our midline exercises that we, we cross over for a kid. Now, sometimes we have to do that with, a, with an adult. It's just to see if they'll they'll do, but uh, anything that crosses the midline, such as cross-crawl, if you've ever seen a baby crawl, it's cross-crawl, or you can stand up and march, or what's called mountain climbers, or um, let's say you have a medicine ball, and you pull the medicine ball to one side, and then you're like, let's say you're pulling it up to your right side, and you bring it down to your left side. Um or you march like a tin soldier, but everything is stiff as you go, or kind of like goose-stepping, if you want to use that term today. Uh, these are all things that cross the brain over to help uh, develop and keep the plasticity of what's going there. One of the other nutrients we use for plasticity is vitamin D, because it has metabolites that are important to the nervous system and, and um, health and, and disease. We know that vitamin D has a very important role in proliferation, differentiation of the brain, such as neuroprotection, neurotransmission, and what we're talking about today, neuroplasticity. And of course, gene expression, somebody has these things called a VDR, or you have Hashimoto's that doesn't allow you to digest fat, or you don't have a gallbladder that doesn't allow you to digest a fat soluble, which vitamin D is. But there's enough evidence that varies between autism, Parkinson's, uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, if you want to say that whole thing, Alzheimer's, MS, uh, and schizophrenia, 
that are vitamin D deficient or they're not able to utilize the vitamin D in their nervous system. So vitamin D supports BDNF. It supports muscle strength. It supports joints. Uh, it supports neuroconnections. Now vitamin D really isn't a vitamin. It's a hormone. Uh, it was just found, I think, in the 30s, and that's what they thought it was, was a vitamin. So it got named a vitamin. It's never really changed its name, but it's a hormone. And hormones are controlled by neurotransmitters. Can you get where this is going now? So neurotransmitters tell hormones what to do, and hormones get into um, more of the function of that. So when somebody's taking hormone therapy, I, I try to be very clear that 1 plus 1 in chemistry does not equal 2. Uh, let's say there's one neurotransmitter. Well, that might equal a thousand hormones, and one a thousand hormones might be equal ten million physiological response in the body. That's really how it works. So, starting with hormone therapy, and if somebody ever goes on it and they get a really high dose, I just question and go, "What on God's earth are they doing?" It's not how that works. Um, so, the other thing that that um, vitamin D does is it's it's a, a an antioxidant. It's anti-inflammatory. It's anti-autoimmune. Um, it's, it's important. It helps upregulate glutathione, which is your master detoxifier. And it helps secure and keep genes as they are. Because keep in mind, let's say somebody goes to Chernobyl. They walked into Chernobyl, which is a very radiant, radioactive area, and they don't have any cancer. And they walk in there, and the, the radiation there pulls apart their genes. Their genes start transcribing and trans, uh, translating now a protein that no longer was, was before. It's mutated. That's what a mutation is, and now they get cancer. That's how it does. Well, vitamin D protects us from all these free radicals and everything that's out there. It's not the top one. Glutathione is, but it helps your glutathione work. So when somebody's even mildly low in vitamin D, guess what we're going to do? We're going to give them vitamin D. Um, sometimes we have to use another fat-soluble vitamin known as vitamin A. Um, and when you have a vitamin A deficiency, you start to have increases rates of infection. So sometimes that goes in. Now, the gene that goes... Along there is very closely related on the, the gene SNP to um, what's called the, the VDR, the vitamin D receptor. Um, and what vitamin A does to the brain is very important for that short-term memory. So you got to have it for learning and memory. And in the hypothalamus, vitamin A is required to maintain the body's internal physiological balance. Are you too hot? Are you too cold? Should you sweat? Should you shiver? Those are important. Now, vitamin A insufficiency later in life is not necessarily lethal, but it, it is a pretty big deal with kids. And, you know, can be there's other things that go in there like rickets um, that start to affect how the, the body absorbs vitamin D and other things that, that go along with it. Or they could have a gallbladder issue. And again, you have to you can't absorb fat soluble vitamins such as vitamins A, D, E, and K that go along with there. And well, if you in those cases, I'll go another step further. Well, what if they had a vitamin K issue and they couldn't get in there and now uh, whether they had COVID, the COVID vaccine, or COVID exposure, whatever you want to call it, anything that goes along the line of COVID. I'm just not throwing COVID out there. And now they have a low vitamin K, and so their arteries start to age much faster. And now we have to go to a vascular issue, and vascular can become a trigger for neuroplasticity. So all these things are connected. When we, when we look at a patient... In our eyes, we're looking at all the different interconnectivities. This is why I take three to four hours before somebody even comes in the office, and I try to develop an idea. And we do a history, and then that's when we put all of our uh, the staff and the other doctors get together, and they, they, they work the solution and the problem um, because you have to have all the different aspects looked at. And no, nobody's certified in every single thing, but really, you do need to have that, that full-blown <laughs> take a look at because 
I can't tell you how many times I can't. That's connected. <laughs> that's connected. I didn't know that that would cause this. I didn't know my my blood sugar in the afternoon made me pass out. Okay, um, it's it's just not it's just not done in the, the standard medical world. What about um, blood supply? What about having uh, the inability to get blood supply places? So one of the things that your heart makes or most of your body makes is something called CoQ10 or ubiquinone, and the mitochondria really need this, but if you're, you, once you get past like 25, you stop making uh, CoQ10. And once you get past 50, it's really low. So you're trying to get blood supply to go places. No, Parkinson's disease is second to Alzheimer's when it comes to um, neurological diseases, and, and ubiquinone is such a big deal with these, with these pathways. Now, about 1% of the population older than 50 has Parkinson's. And Parkinson's disease is a loss of a neurotransmitter called dopamine. And it happens in a part of the brain called the substantia nigra. And they start to get these like Louis bodies uh, that get in there. One of the things that is uh, is connected to the loss of these dopaminergic neurons is not being able to use CoQ10 anymore. So it's, it's not just taking CoQ10, it's being able to help the body make this. And sometimes this is where we use, uh, somebody has to use a, a 3B laser to get in there, or a 3B laser plus CoQ10, or a 3B laser plus CoQ10, says, or plus another thing called, like we use memory support, which has been posetine and heparazine A to increase the blood supply to that part of the brain while they're doing something. They're, they're, they're affecting that part of the brain through movement, and sometimes we have to use acupuncture that gets in there. There's all these, these pathways that, that we have to go into that to help that part of the brain work. So when we're talking about this neuroplasticity, this is a big deal too with somebody who has a stroke. So a lot of people, and if you've had a stroke, you have a loved one just recently had a stroke, please listen carefully. What, let's say they're in Medicare. Uh, they might get like six or 12 physical therapy treatments. That's it. All right, you're good, you're done. You you figure out a way to get them as much treatment as fast as you possibly can. Uh, like six treatments a day, for two weeks, uh, you, you're just going at it and going at it and going at it. The faster that somebody gets treatment and movement through those, the faster you get this reconnectivity. The longer, if, if they only go like six treatments, the recovery is like nothing. It's it's worthless. The rest of the world, they have places for this and they get after it and they are in there. The rehab, uh, like the rehab hospitals we have here are not anywhere close to some other parts of the world where in the rehab hospital they're doing things all day long they don't they don't get a lot of rest because why they're trying to get their plasticity back so they can go out and be back as close as if not better than what they were before and some of the things that they're used not only in movement but might be hyperbaric chamber because they're trying to get the high, um, that plasticity back so this low pressure hyperbaric chamber improves not only behavioral so let's say somebody has a behavior issue but it can it can help neurobiological outcomes it improves cognitive function, and it's very good for uh, chronic traumatic brain injury. So a lot of the military, especially um, call them high-value um, operators, um, they're still exhibiting a lot of combat. Things are blowing up around them, uh, or things are being uh, blown up next to them. That wave, that pulse that's going through there. I mean, if something blows up, it's, it's going through your body. At least the, the, the force of the air, everything, is, it hits you. But it's it goes and you know if you've ever seen the the movie um, Concussion, there's an egg in your head and it gets shooken every time something gets blown up. Well, they have chronic traumatic brain injuries, chronic 
information and, and a lot of the military as they come back part of their after their debrief they get in these hyperbaric chambers because they're trying to get the bdnf and everybody else to start to come back together so with neuroplasticity you have to have the right amount of stimulation and the right amount of chemistry we just started talking about the chemistry blood supply and blood sugar are a big part of the chemistry and why i'm not talking about them right now because they have to go into all the different potentials for those things now, sometimes it's just oxidative stress. So if you ever heard of free radicals, these are things because oxidative stress often cause um, neuroinflammation. And you can get into a, because of too much inflammation, you can have a seizure just on that. Uh, or you can have a stroke be just because of that. Enough uh, reactive oxygen species. So one of the things we use... Um, in the ketogenic diet is something called a medium chain triglycerides or MCT. And it's a very, very good way um, to help with people who have seizures. And it's a very good way because of the neurodegeneration to help people with Alzheimer's disease. So these are two things that we we try to get at and you know, there's a lot of studies that show that that's better than any drug that's out there. And so I wish every single, I, I drive by them every now and then different, uh, what's called Alzheimer clinics. Uh, they're called advanced cognitive decline clinics where people are, they're staying there for the rest of their life. I wish they would put them all on there. Just humor me, humor me, put them on this diet, you know, and, and a lot of them are, are gone. Just do it. They're not going to fight you anyway. Just do it. See what happens. Um, can you bring something back? Can you stop what's going on? Can you help that family maybe have a couple moments of, uh, you know, lucidity with their with their loved one? Just do it. Um, so if you ever had to put somebody in there, I mean, if you you were doing it, I would. We're not going to do this until we we agree to the to the food that's going in here. Now there are what's called beta amyloid plaques that come along with Alzheimer's and. There's a, a nutrient for plasticity that's called resveratrol that can help uh, with the damage and oxidative stress damage that goes along with it. Not, not all um, Alzheimer's is, is just um, an oxidative stress issue. It can be from a gut that creates that. Um, there, there are other there are other ways that, that come along with that, but it's just an, another option. Uh, sometimes quercetin is a, is a good deal. Um so the brain has different parts of it, and quercetin has some clinical relevance that it reduces these plaques that come from Alzheimer's. So um, we use quercetin for many other reasons, such as uh, you know whether it's allergies or, or whatnot. But um, in some of the blind um, control studies, these Alzheimer's patients got better by using quercetin and what they found is it helped their synaptic transmission and long-term potentiation which is by definition plasticity it helped with plasticity and quercetin falls into the uh, phenyl or polyphenol um category so you know if somebody's drinking like red wine that technically has polyphenol but that's where resveratrol is um there is some Good studies that show that drinking red wine can lower the risk for developing Alzheimer's disease, but the caveat with that is like four ounces is the max you can have. Because if you go beyond that, it starts to become blood sugar issues, and blood sugar is a bigger issue to uh, neurodegenerative issues and brain pathology, then um, you, you've lost your ability to help that. Now, big picture. 
while we're talking about neuroplasticity, and we'll get into the other other thing, about 20 million people right now have Alzheimer's. And then 1% of people over 50 have Parkinson's. Um, an unknown number of people have dementia, and we all have forms of this that's going on. It's happening. It's happening. We have cognitive deterioration. And, and to be frank, I don't think it's fair for anybody in Congress, especially over like 70, to be making decisions. Um, and it's not a political decision. It's a physiological decision. Uh, and, if, and by the way, and if they want to do charity work and they want to keep busy, absolutely, hammer at it. But we're all going to go through this. It just happens to be happening faster because of our environment and the food choices to us. So when I look at and I watch, and I've been watching silliness or you know, I, to calm my brain down, honestly, I'd watch like C-SPAN <laughs> when I was in college. <clears throat> I didn't care what was going on because it was so dadgum boring. It could help me go to sleep. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, you know, when you start looking at, at, at our, our people who are in politics, are, are any of them really healthy? There are a few. There are a few. But a lot of them are, you know, they they maybe they work too much. Uh, they don't really take care of themselves. They don't really exercise. So when we talk about this and all the things that we we've gone over so far and what we're going to get to, what's the what's the chance that our, you know, the politician that you've elected, is making a cognitive, positive decision, whether it's a vote for you or not, are they at their proper mental faculties? Probably not. And once they get above a certain age, um, it's it's it. You've had all these times to create reactive oxygen species or free radicals. Um, and while there might not be, uh, you know, cognitive decline, it's not in your favor. It's it's happening, and so um, if that decision affects, you know, let's say, you know, what what does people over seventy? What's the percentage of the United States? It's not much, but that decision affects the majority. I, I think we should consider, you know, whether it's term limits or age limits, uh, that might be a, a decent thing for all of us. I mean, it, it, would you put a five-year-old in charge of, you know, what to eat for dinner? Uh, no, because you're going to have, I'm trying to think of crap food. Um, you're going to have macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets and whatnot because they haven't had a life experience. So I'm trying not to be mean about the life experience of somebody over 70 because there's wisdom there. And, and it's always good to, to hear all of them, but that I, I think it's better served if the wisdom is passed down to the next generation that's coming in. Um, and that's that's where, you know, fundamentally, that's where I want to be in my life. When I'm 70, I don't want to be, if I get to 70, if when I get 70, I don't want to be working in the office. I don't want to be making decisions for anybody else in their life. I'm going to be, you can bounce off what, you know, What's the, the the good and the bad of my thought process? Great, I'll, I'll bounce it off you. That's where I want to be. Just the 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 question of, hey, what if I do this? Well, um, I don't know. Or uh, this is what we saw when when I was at your age. Okay, that that's where I want to be. So I'll, I'll kind of stop at that. Um, and then uh, cholesterol. So a lot of people don't eat fat. Um, not the best thing that's out there because your brain is fat. It is like 100% fat. So if you start taking like anti-cholesterol medication, what happens to your brain? You, you start to decrease fat. What if you go on a fat-free diet? You start to decrease your brain fat. Uh, what if you have a, a gallbladder issue that doesn't work? You can't absorb fat. Your brain starts to 
decrease. So we like people to eat fat. This is why ketogenic diets, which is high in fat or intermittent fasting with a low carb, which means you're going to have protein and fat, helps your brain. So cholesterol function is very important. Very important. And sometimes we have to use other types of cholesterol-like products like phosphatidylserine, phosphatidylcholine, and phosphatidylinositol um, because they directly interact with the membranes within the brain and they help to uh, make the synaptics or the connections even better. So those particular things happen. And I wanted to just give you the background to um, neuroplasticity, but it's, it's more than just let's go learn a new language and let's go do some exercise. There's a lot more that goes to it, but there's a lot of nutrients that come along with it. And one of the biggest nutrients that we use in our office is called essential fatty acids because it's a long chain omega-3 fatty acid. And what it does is it helps with pain. It helps the brain. It helps um, anti-inflammation within the brain. It helps nerve degeneration. It helps increase neuroplasticity. It decreases bad cholesterol. I mean, why would you not take this thing? Um, it's, it's extremely important. Um, and then sometimes there are some studies. Um, I, I wasn't a fan for the majority of my life um, for THC, and I, I still am on the fence on THC, but these things called endocannabinoids, so from like CBD. So endocannabinoids help hippocampal long-term potentiation. Are you saying to me, what? CBD? Um, CBD doesn't have to have, I mean, it's like 0.001% THC. So I just don't want things that alter the, the mood or the brain. Uh, in a negative way or has the potential for a negative uh, opportunity but your body see i didn't know about this in, 10 years ago that you actually make your own cannabinoids it's, it's part of your normal system so it's called uh, endocannabinoids but when you even supplement sometimes with the right cbd that's for your brain that helps the brain uh, who knew that so um from maternal to um, even babies mom's passing these things back and forth to help their hippocampal synaptic plasticity come about well, who knew? I'm not suggesting that if you're pregnant, let's go try some CBD. It's, that's not, that's not the, I'm just showing, just bringing up studies that just happen to be out there. And there's also other, um, what's called uh, antioxidants that can be very beneficial to the brain uh, or getting blood supply to the brain, such as things that create nitric oxide. Um, because nitric oxide provides a feedback, positive feedback loop. So there's negative and positive feedback loops. A positive feedback loop that helps BDNF, plus it's getting blood to your brain, which means you can heal. I, we, we like that. But not all nitric oxide is created the same. I just want to be very, very clear about that. Uh, in our office, typically we use um, a memory support or we use something called aflopoic acid, which is a, um, an antioxidant as well because it increases inflammation. Um, the other thing that alphapoke does is it helps with um, insulin desensitization so when people have insulin resistance and it can be an anti-aging so why wouldn't we want to do something that does that and then if you've never heard of a vegetable <clears throat> it's it's probably time to consider them now if you're in a ketogenic low carb or if you're in a carnivore diet you're probably not going to do that much but the right vegetables exert immunomodulation, anti-inflammatory activities in the brain. Those are very good things to <laughs> consider when you're talking about neuroinflammation. So when you're ready to change your life, do it. Um, and it's never going to be perfect. But if you change it and you start to make a change, the better. 
I just sound like somebody else. Um, if you start to implement change, you're going to gain. It's not just you that's going to win. It's everyone around you. So as your brain starts to work better and it stays together, I mean, you could have a, a completely degenerative body. Um, I'm trying to prevent that myself, but the next thing is as my body deteriorates over time, and it will, as my body deteriorates over time, what am I doing to keep my brain there? Because again, if you've ever had somebody go through serious illness, but they kept their brain, you could still talk to them. You could still say goodbye to them. But if they've lost their brain, it is so much different. They're not there. And you just get to watch them. And you, you don't know if they're suffering. You don't know if they're comfortable. You don't know anything. You just don't know. And it's it's so tough to see. I know we have a lot of podcasts to listen to. I hope that this um, was educational. And I'll get to the next part of this, which is the physiological side of the brain. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about our office, go to choosenewleaf.com or give us a call. I'm Dr. Trites. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible. Be well. This podcast, Great Health Does Not Have to Be a Mission Impossible, provides you information about evidence-based strategies for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, digestion, autoimmune disease, brain health issues, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode, Nutrition, Dr. Trite's blog, and many other topics at choosenewleaf.com. There you'll have all the information, and thank you for listening to this podcast. The best thing to do is sign up for his newsletter, where he'll update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. You can find Dr. Trite's social media on Instagram and Facebook with the username New Leaf Health. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. Note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.